How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Hey there, and welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. What? You ask for unique each and every episode. You are going to get unique each and every episode. Wow, I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. Hey there. I like Did that. you like it? Yeah, it's good. Was it a little like David Allen Boucher? Oh, very much so. Is yeah. that what his name was on? Uh, I have no idea. Late good. night romantic one hundred six point seven. Well, that was. I, I like it. I think it's great. I, I'm that. That gives me something even more to look forward to mm. each week because you know I love being with you guys. But wondering what what we're going to deliver next is going to be. Yes, really indeed. Great. Love it. Yeah. With that in mind, Tom, can you? Please introduce our guests for tonight. Of course, Dr. Joe. Tonight, not only are we welcoming back Patrick Troy Brantz, but we're welcoming to the Dr. Joe show for the first time, Harrison Tipping. Harrison Tipping is a British actor, writer, and director currently living in New York. He studied at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting and is a member of the National Youth Theater of Great Britain, with whom he's performed in four different shows, and over the last two years, he started to make his own work. Recently, he starred in a feature film in Austin, Texas, opposite Eric Roberts, which comes out early next year. He is passionate about telling stories which he feels aren't often spoken about and strives to tell stories in interesting and dynamic ways. Born and raised in Burlington, North Carolina, Patrick grew up acting and teching in community and public school theater, only putting his artistry on pause to join the Army after graduating high school in 2004. Over six years, Patrick served in Iraq and Afghanistan with the 82nd Airborne. In 2018, he was accepted into the three-year professional conservatory at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting. Patrick completed his training at Stella Adler in August 2021. He currently lives in Brooklyn with his partner, Nina, and Black Cat Bruce. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Yeah. Welcome back, Patrick, and welcome, Harrison. We are delighted to have you guys here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Great you to be back. having us. You are welcome. So let's um, let's go to you, Harrison. You've, you've come on the show. Patrick really told us about you, which is really lovely that he reached out and said uh, he would really like to have Harrison on the show. Um, so I want to just remind you that I'm going to come right back. Patrick, why did you want us to have Harrison on the show? Well, um, so, you know, I, uh, Harrison and I met each other at the uh, Stella Adler studio. We were in the same uh, conservatory class. Um, and, you know, aside from, Kind of frankly admiring his talent and his his character that he he brought um, just naturally or with the training that he had before he got to the studio. You know there there was I just have to say there was something in him that really struck me as far as how seriously he took the work. Um, you know he's he's an absolute hilarious goofball sometimes. You know. Um, to a very frustrating level sometimes, but <laughs> I, I seriously um, can't think of a more dedicated actor that, you know, I mean, there were some actors that I went through that were just as dedicated, I think, as Harrison, but no one more so dedicated to finding the, the truth of 
of the character that that he portrayed. You know, nothing was a a parody. Nothing was like a caricature of what he did. And that paired with when we kind of had some sideline discussions later, he, you know, was sort of interested in my uh, uh, military service and background. And I came to find out, you know, as I'm sure he will tell you later, um, his brother uh, serves in the British Army still. Um, And so, you know, we found a lot of common ground there, obviously. And not only was he interested in like the, you know, glory aspects of my service, he was very interested in the uh, emotional aspects and sort of my journey and and what what was behind me going from soldier to actor and et cetera. And uh, so that struck me. And then, you know, when we when we got out and Harrison's project of, of Stan 2, um, when it finally came out and um, we'll obviously get more into this later, but seeing that even if I'd never known Harrison like that, that project really just moved me as as a veteran and as an artist as far as what he was diving into so so yeah i just think you know harry is a special lad and you know i think uh he could really deserve to use this platform to uh spread his message a little more and i want to support that wonderful well thank you patrick and you know thank you for being back on the show as well it means a lot to us harrison uh, quite an introduction Tell us a bit about Stand 2. Well, uh, welcome, everybody, and thank you very much for having me. Um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, and I also just want to say, Patrick, that was such a lovely introduction. I didn't think you thought of me so highly. I thought there was going to be a lot more insults uh, in that one, but maybe you're saving those for later. Um, you have commercial yeah, breaks. So, um, so. I've known Patrick for, I think it's about five years now, um, and... Um, I mean, how old are you, Patrick? Are you, how old are you? I'm 37. 37. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. Um, I'm, a, I'm 24, <laughs> so there's a considerable, I suppose, age gap between me and Patrick. And um, I moved to New York at 18 uh, to study at the Stella Adler Studio. And I think um, I was drawn to Patrick because not only I wasn't in a class with him to begin with, but um, I was aware that he was ex-military um and as he said himself uh, my brother serves in the british army um and i think i'm always very drawn to people who actually don't have anything to do with acting which sounds kind of strange but i think our jobs as actors are to portray i suppose anybody and everybody from all walks of life and different backgrounds and uh, i took an interest in patrick because we shared a common a common thing in life, which was that he had served and my brother serves. Um, and then during COVID, um, I actually went back to the UK and uh, I thought it was about time that I wanted to start making my own my own projects. Um, and this had been a story I'd been thinking of for a little while, but I didn't know how I wanted to how I wanted to tell it. Um, so I decided that. Um, before just jumping in at the deep end, it, it was only right to do a sort of a lot of extensive research on the particular issue and the theme surrounding it. And I suppose that's sort of where the um, the seed was planted and where I began. Um, now, like I say, my brother's in the British Army and I'm very close with lots of his friends. Um, and I was fortunate enough to speak with a couple of those guys uh, to share their experience, not only of the 
the men and women who had already served, but even those who were just in the army to sort of see what their experience of that job was. Um, I think it was really important for me to understand um, the training and the mentality that these people need to be in for their line of work. I think that in itself affects uh, how they live their daily lives. And that was something I wanted to incorporate into the film itself. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I suppose that's where it all began in so, wanting to create the project. And it's powerful. I, I, I took a chance to, to look at it the other day. It is remarkable how you weave the story together. And there really is so much power in story. Um, and that's why I want to give our sponsors an opportunity to tell theirs. So we'll take a commercial break. We'll be right back with Harrison and Patrick, Tom and Mark and the Dr. Joe Show. Larry, it's all yours. Hey, folks. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Joe Show. We've been investigating whether or not we want to bring sponsors into our podcast. What are your thoughts? Do you know somebody who might be a good partner with the Dr. Joe Show, who may want to align their product or service with the Dr. Joe Show? Think about it. And we're back with Patrick Troy Brandt, an author, producer, director, creative, Harrison Tipping, talking about a really important conversation. Yeah. So as we begin the conversation, Harrison, um, what's your understanding of what stand to actually means in the service? So that was, it's a really, I'm glad that you actually asked me that question because I had written a film and then it kind of came to the point of, I need to think of a title for it. And I spent a long time, I suppose, trying to encapsulate what this story means. Um, and I, I did a little bit of research of different, uh, military terminology. And, uh, you know, you can also correct me if I'm wrong here, Patrick. It might be different in the UK, but Stand 2 was an order given sort of a call to arms in preparation for battle. Now, just before, um, soldiers were going over the top in World War One, they were told to Stand 2, which means is to sort of do your final checks of kit and to be sort of really prepared to go into battle. And, I think it, for me, it really related to the essence and the themes of the film in the sense of the character Simon seems like he's always in this position of stand to. He's always, he's always prepared and can't seem to shut off. Um, and that was really important for me to try and encapsulate that in the title, um, to sort of show the journey that he's on throughout this story and how that affects himself and his partner and the people around him that he's unable, unfortunately, to switch off from that stance of readiness. Mm. That's getting goosebumps as you're describing that. Um, it is a remarkable movie and, and you are performing the lead in this, correct, Harrison? Yeah, correct. Yes. What was that experience like for you to to try to capture this in a person? Actually, before we get there, can you maybe you can just tell our listeners what the story is about a bit? Because 
They don't know. Let's talk about that. What sure. so the, do about? The story surrounds a man uh, called Simon who returns home from active military service. It's um, sort of kept a little bit general as to where he's he's been and where he's sort of come from, and that was deliberate. I didn't want to specify this to a certain individual story. I wanted to make it a film that could be accessible to people in the military and also who weren't in the military, just to understand what some of the effects certain soldiers could experience. Um, and it follows his um, sort of his return home and how trying to fit back into daily routine and normalities can be a huge struggle uh, for certain men and women who have served. Um, now, obviously, I'm sure Patrick, um, you know, can perhaps touch on that. Um, and, you know, this is very, it's a very sensitive subject. So I was aware that I didn't want to dramatize anything or add any sort of fluff around the edges. I wanted to keep everything as truthful as possible. Um like I say, uh, I had lots of my brother's friends who have served uh, on inactive service, and I felt I had a duty to tell the story um, as truthful to the experiences that they had been through as possible. Um, so, yeah. Patrick, you, you want to comment? I mean, you served several times. What was it like when you come back home? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I... Uh... You know, yeah, I guess going back to your y'all's discussion on on the title stand too, um, that's at least in my service, that was not a term I, that might be an, either an exclusively British or foreign term or it's been, you know, outdated in our military, certainly. But the fact that it speaks to this old world mentality of, you know, what's also known as facing the powder, you know, the, the gunpowder of the enemy, like standing and just being a body to be part of this mass to take, you know, this very, you know, older world where, you know, it was, you know, a battle saw thousands of casualties as the norm on either side, which, you know, we've gotten away from, but that mentality has stayed, you know, so, for example, when I was overseas and very much a lot of times in a role of more of a um, law enforcement presence, if you will, you know, occupying presence of law enforcement versus a uniformed soldier versus another uniformed soldier, there was still that old school mentality that was ingrained in us as infantrymen specifically to be you know, the stone cold killer prepared to run your bayonet through the enemy, you know, that was still here while we were dealing with uh, some largely civilian population, which I think, you know, feeds quite into this um, uh, struggle to adapt with society and to come to reckon with um, who you were then as a soldier versus now as a civilian. Um, so, uh, you know, and I think Again, with the, with the, this this sort of you know, there's a term I think that's come in the in the vernacular somewhat recently. Doctor Joe, maybe you can clarify this: uh, CPTSD or or complex post traumatic stress disorder, which I believe speaks to as opposed to post traumatic stress, more of a singular event, a singular life threatening extreme event that keeps recurring the, the the complex post-traumatic stress disorder i believe is is trying to explore more what happens to our psyche over a long period of time within a stressful situation which 
um, speaks more to me in my experience. You know, it's not, I didn't have a, you know, I wasn't drafted to jump into Normandy on D-Day and face the horrors of war, you know, in like a 72 hour period and then come home and, and try and live a life. You know, it was, it was never that extreme for me, but it was over a period of years of going back and forth to combat zones of seeing, you know, encounters of life-threatening encounters here and there and just developing this sort of uh, uh, overall extreme on edge um, uh, character person, you know, uh, defense mechanism to just deal with the day to day for six and a half years. And to let go of that, I think is a struggle for uh, a lot of modern veterans more so than like we said, the giant battles that we saw before where it was just hell on earth and then it was quiet. And that's what you had to deal with. If that makes sense. Yeah. As opposed to that, that acute event, that ongoing, continued right. exposure. It's, it's, we have a, a similar thing in some ways in children called ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, where kids continue day after day or in these awful situations at home or at school. And it's to, it's it's not about letting it go. It's, it's trying to find a way to come to terms with it. The other thing I just want to point out, the idea that this is a disorder has always irked me. And Harrison might not have heard this before, but I just want to point it out. Uh, complex post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress, when you add the word disorder, it basically sends a message that you're not responding correctly to the trauma. So please, folks, let's move away from that. It is ridiculous to think that this is a disorder. It is an absolute brain response mm. to ongoing danger. The fight, flight, freeze response is activated, but is not turned off. And Harrison, coming back to you, that is what I saw uh, in your character, Simon, that you were playing. Did you realize that that's part of what was going on with him? Oh, I mean, like you say, it's, it's not a choice. And I think that's one of the hardest things with this issue um and one of the things that i find really heartbreaking is that a lot of these men and women who are doing this extremely tough job and in a lot of instances are doing it for all the right reasons come back and they can feel helpless and so, so alone and not know how to deal with it and you know that that's the thing I think that, you know, in sort of trying to understand the effects of this and Simon as an individual was really important to me. Now, um, unfortunately, you can't see my beautiful face, but I've got a full head of hair at the moment. And yeah. as the character, one of the things I decided to do is I wanted to sort of shave all my hair off and grow out a mustache. And um, at the end of the film, there's a sort of a shot and it's kind of left a little bit ambiguous. And um, I actually decided for that last shot ending the film to shave the mustache off. Mm. Um, again, it's, it's only a small detail, but it's this thing of trying to let go and to move on and find the help that um, these people, you know, need. And uh, as I said, you know, it, it really is one of the things that still makes me 
really emotional is to know, like you say, it's, it's not a, a choice that they make. It's more of a, a response to these traumas that they felt that they can't seem to let them go. Um, and oftentimes I found that it, it wasn't that veterans don't want help. It's they don't know how to ask for it and how to go, go about dealing with it. Um, I think that's one of the most sort of heartbreaking things as well about the movie, in my opinion, is I don't think Simon doesn't want help. I think he doesn't know how to ask for it. And that's what makes it so tragic with the woman who he was so in love with and had such a life with before he left, yeah. you know, his rock. He doesn't even know how to interact with her. Yeah. No, it, it, it's it's a wonderfully told story. The the, um, the phrase, you know, to, to let, let them go, uh, I... I've worked with a lot of folks with these complex traumas and it's not that they can't let it go. It's that the trauma is not letting go of them, mm -hmm. that, that they are tormented and every day, sometimes every moment of that day are at risk of remembering. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's the part that is so powerful that, um, they, they are at risk of remembering. And when they remember, all these traumatic memories come through you you have that well well storied in in the show but but i have to remember some things as well and not let go of my sponsors so with that in mind <laughs> uh, i'm not going to let them go but larry can we bring them in let's hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back with harrison and patrick and the dr joe show hey folks welcome back so any thoughts do you listen to other podcasts do you see how they do the sponsors? Is there a way that they're utilizing sponsors that you enjoy or you don't enjoy? I listen to Smartless and I really enjoy how the co-hosts share the voiceover for the product or service. It's really funny for the most part, but it's unique. It's them really endorsing. Does that work? What do you think? And we're back with the Dr. Joe show talking with Patrick Troy Brandt and Harrison Tipping about post-traumatic stress condition and complex post-traumatic stress condition. And we we're talking about a movie that Harrison made. And before we left, we were talking about how these folks don't know how to ask for help. Is it a matter, and I guess this is kind of a question for Dr. Joe as well. Is, this, is it a matter if they don't know how to ask or they don't think they're allowed to ask. Mm. Or they will be judged if they do right. ask as not a good soldier. Right. And you should be stronger. Um, the show right before us, uh, Veterans Voice with Greg Rosso and his team address this component. The, the unbelievable rate of completed suicides in our veterans. It is, it truly is criminal that, that there is not the support. But in in stand two, Harrison, I mean, you 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 portray this fellow. What's what is your inner world there? Does he want help? Does he know how to get help? Is he? How did you, as a as an actor, take all the stuff that you'd learned from um, your interviews and from Patrick? How did you incorporate that? Who's Simon? Well, I think one of the um key components to my research i did a lot of reading and i watched a lot of documentaries and 
again, having spent a lot of time with a lot of my brother's friends, I think one of the key things that stuck out to me is just how um, quiet um, veterans can be, um, mm. not just on their own, but also in social environments. And I often think that people mistake people who are quiet in social environments as being awkward or not wanting to be engaged. And I think internally, what was the conflict for him is that was quite the opposite. Um, and there was this this need again to try and deal with all these things that he'd experienced but as patrick touched on earlier there's this sort of external mask that is presented um that's sort of been built up over time um so i think a, a large thing that i was really um focusing on in the film was just how quiet and still he was as an individual um and there was a lot going on in the inside as opposed to showing on the outside and i think that again leans into what i felt was trying to be a truthful portrayal is i think it's easy to sort of show a man coming home and throwing things all over the room and getting really drunk in a bar and trying to fight people and i you know in my experience of um speaking to soldiers is quite the opposite um i think there's a lot of quiet internal conflict going on um and um again i think that's what makes it so tragic is that it's the internal struggle um rather than the outward um viciousness of what's going on and you, you also touched on there dr joe i had the privilege to share this film with a charity back in the uk called head up and i actually just want to give a shout out to them there's a man called paul minter who ran five thousand miles around the uk coastline to raise funds and awareness of post-traumatic stress disorder now he lost 13 of his friends to suicide after mm. um after active service and um on a whim, I sent this film to him, um, not knowing if it was going to sort of get anywhere. And um, he responded to me and he asked if he could ring me straight away. And I was fortunate enough to have a call with him. And he said, he, you know, he could really relate to this film. And he felt like it, it could be a really good tool and use for veterans for them to watch it and perhaps relate or not. And, you know, the biggest thing for me is I didn't want to try and I don't want veterans to watch this film and go, I absolutely relate to this and he's done a fantastic job. That wasn't my aim with this film. My aim with this film is just to raise awareness of this. Uh, and I'm sure lots of veterans' experiences will also be different to what I portrayed in the film as well. I think it's it's an incredible way to start the discussion. You know, I think, I mean, I do think that there's the potential for this film to be part of almost a curriculum, almost a, a training manual for therapists, but also a, an invitation for those who have served that it's okay to come and speak. Patrick, has that been your experience? Not, maybe not with you, but with your, your comrades. Is it difficult to talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, well, I think that first off, we, yeah, veteran suicides are through the roof. Uh, you know, I, the last uh, buddy of mine that I knew that took his life, he, he did it in July of this year. Um, and, and one of our, you know, one of our other buddies, when that happened, we were messaging back and forth about it. And he, 
he said something that definitely stuck with me. He said, I thought we were past this, you know, because I've been out now since 2010. Uh, And so, you know, there was, yeah, I mean, since I've been out, I I believe Damien was the, the fifth of guys that I knew that have, that has killed themselves. Um, since getting out and you know we lost four guys in you know my total uh of, of deployments so that we've now exceeded that in suicides mm-hmm. is a very common story i think and i think that um you know i think that that maybe another thing that's not talked about that that stand to absolutely uh expresses and touches on is is how ha- is is the is the traumatic stress of of not of not being frightened or scared of what you did, but that, but being the deployment of sort of being your, your glory days and almost you seeing that as the climax of your life, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and sort of this, you know, stuck in a sort of certain uh, age of development, right? Like that's sort of a thing. So, you know, people who were the, the quarterback in high school and then went on to, have a not spectacular life after that. We'll often look back to that and, you know, pine. And I think that it's that multiplied by a thousand when it comes to military service, you know, young people who go in at 18, 19, sometimes 17 and, and have objectively the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, not awesome in the good sense, but just awesome in the incredible sense of such an, an event in your life of warfare, of combat. Um, and the adrenaline and, and the, you know, uh, being on the winning side of a fight is incredibly addicting as maybe weird as that sounds. And, you know, to come back from all of that excitement and, and just living every day to day and not having to worry about, you know, the kids, if you have kids or, you know, the, the bills or the taxes or, or whatever, or finding a job and, and coming back into society and, and wanting to be the lost boys in the woods again, you know, as opposed to running away from, from trauma that, that, you know, is trauma and scares you. Um, would you, would you say that like the lack of a deloading phase is a mm, big part of it? Like deloading. Yeah. And well, what is deloading? And well, just the idea back? that so you, you're you're set to such a routine and you get yeah. so used to it and to be around the same people day in and day out. And then all of a sudden you're back in the quote unquote real world mm-hmm. and you're it's supposed to be just business as usual. But the your business as usual is completely foreign to what's around you. Yeah. And, and the, the level how other people take you. You know, because, you know, you think, oh, I just been through all this stuff. I'm I was a sergeant in the army. Like, you know, like I coordinated ambushes like, you know, and then you get in the civilian world and they're like, OK, well, this is how you run our cash register, you know, um, and, and you know, kind of having that reality check of like, oh, wow, I guess it doesn't matter how fast I can take apart and reassemble a machine gun blindfolded, um, you know, and that sort of thing. It's uh you know, it's really, you have to start over. And and I think that starting over after you've been built up so much as this, you know, on a pedestal uh, for so long and going back down 
to the ground with the rest with the rest of the civilians uh, I think is a hard drop for a lot of guys and women um, yeah so Harrison was was that also part of of Simon's life as he comes back to his old home I mean there's loads of things that were touched on there and I mean, most definitely. The thing about structure and routine, again, was a, a huge part of the film that I wanted to incorporate. And um, I mean, you, as an actor, you're trying to you're trying to inhabit the character and who they are and how they live, as well as understand the story. And what I guess what I'm trying to say about that is there were little details that I tried to make in the film to show the juxtaposition of the transitioning back into normal life versus what Thomas said about that sort of structure and routine. Um, simple things like he walks into the kitchen and the first thing he sees is a tea towel that's slightly screwed up and not uh, neatly folded or entering into the uh, hallway of his house that feels like a different place and... Um, his wife's shoes are sort of all over the place, whereas he neatly puts his bag down. When, um, I mean, I don't want to give any spoilers, but uh, when he's uh, more alone, I think he tries to turn back into a structure and a routine of folding clothes, making his bed look nice. And as he progresses um, into his, for lack of a better term, downward spiral, I think that becomes less of a thing. Um, and you know, uh, you know, Patrick said it there. It's the skill set in the army can feel so alien to the skill set of civilian lifestyle, I suppose. And I think that was another big thing that was really um, really stood out to me is this: you know, these men and women are in such high stakes situations and scenarios. So then to come home and the washing machine to be broken. Um, is such a mundane thing. Um, and as Patrick said, you know, in a way, I think it's probably pr pretty boring. Um, and I, I think that can probably, if you've never been in the army or you're not related to it, that can probably sound pretty strange to think that there's such an adrenaline kick and excitement in doing the job, but then coming home, which is meant to be a safe, nice environment, just sometimes doesn't feel like that. Yeah. Patrick, would you add something? Yeah, this, this sort of had me thinking, you know, another thing, I think, aspect of this that's often overlooked is the people that are back home while the soldier is away and what they go through mentally, mm -hmm. emotionally, and um, very much, you know, unsung heroes, yeah, um, the support system, the family that the soldier has, and the different expectations. You know, the soldier has these expectations when they're coming home of what life is going to be like and how they're going to be received. You know, they're going to be they're going to come back as a hero and they're going to kick back on the lazy boy. I'm obviously generalizing here, but you know, they're going to they're going to be able to rest a little and sort of reset. And maybe that partner that they had back home is looking forward to their other half coming back and like. Finally, I can have some help around this house, you know, with our family, with with the kids at school and, and sports and et cetera, and, and, you know, figuring out our bills. And so having these different these different expectations, because both parties have had such an incredible weight, you know, 
And, and yes, the soldier has had incredible weight, obviously, uh, but the home front has also bore this incredible weight and I think can, you know, incur some, some traumatic stress, uh, you know, more often than not because of that, that maybe is even harder to, to be open about because you have shame about doing that when you weren't even the one that went and fought, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, the, the anxiety of, of not knowing that weight, am I going to get that phone call? Is something going to happen? Um, and it is that anxiety of waiting that sometimes our, our sponsors feel that they know that their time will come. And this is one of them. Larry, let's take a commercial break. We'll be right back with the Dr. Joe show. Hey, welcome back. And again, we're super grateful for you listening to the Dr. Joe show. If you have anyone that you think might be a good sponsor, shoot us an email at drjoepodcast at gmail.com. D-R-J-O-E podcast at gmail.com. Give us your thoughts about the show too. We're wondering, are we talking to the trees or are people really gaining value in this? Please let us know. Thank you again and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back with the Dr. Joe show with creator Harrison Tipping and soldier who served our great nation, Patrick Troy Brandt, talking about Harrison's new movie on YouTube. Search Harrison Tipping on YouTube with the title Stand To, Stand T.O. You will be glad you did. It's an amazing production. Yeah. It is, and, and it's under 20 minutes, folks. I mean, that's the part that is remarkable. How much of the story gets told mm. in under 20 minutes, and it is just chilling when you think about the years that that created this human being, the years of, of being in combat. And and Harrison, you know, you, you blend that in beautifully with those those moments uh of of him in 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 uniform with the gun and um and i i noticed that as each new image comes through his emotion is clearly changing you know mm. from that first time that you see him uh in his uniform to that last time it is it's really powerfully done the human beings are very good at reading faces and emotions and you really captured this progression for this guy well I, I, again as performers both of you you get into these roles but one of the things that that we really do focus on is how you come out of that role and how you come back to being harrison and being patrick and being not in the service harrison did you ever have any of that experience where you're you know you're, you're still simon it's, it's really funny that you asked that because just after I finished the film, I went to go see a friend down in London and um, I'd not seen him for a little while, but re we're really good friends and we went out for drinks in a pub um, with some of his friends who I'd never met. And I found myself sitting on the outside of this group and I, I'm usually quite a sociable person and I found myself uh, with everyone just sitting on the outside feeling really sort of quiet and introverted and you know i think everyone's um everyone acts differently and is affected differently and i'm definitely not saying i you know 
I couldn't escape. But it was sort of a weird moment for me just to be myself in my day to day living to have this sort of relatability to uh, the themes of what Simon was going through actually in my own life. Um, so that was kind of, in a way, a bit of a trippy experience because I, I like to sort of step into a character's shoes when I'm performing. And then when I'm not performing, I'm the silly lad Harrison that Patrick wants to insult at the end of the show. <laughs> yes, to be able to really step out of those moments, you know, but they're all I am's. And that's that's part of what the show is about. You know, the, the Dr. Joe show explores who we are and why we do what we do based on the I am approach, the idea that we are always doing the best we can at every moment with the potential to change in the very next second to another best we can because we're influenced by and responding to these four domains. Your home domain, the social domain, which we are talking a lot about tonight, that social domain of, of war, um, and then the two internal domains, your biological domain of your brain and body, and the IC domain. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Because these four domains interact, a small change can have a big effect. We don't need to change everything. So I'm going to ask Patrick first and then you, Harrison. Given what we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners, Patrick? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think that when I, when I say the phrase, there's a lot going on in the world right now. I'm sure that everyone that hears that has about 500 images of different things that pop up instantly in their head. And so that's sort of what I was thinking about when answering this question this time. And what I would say to that is that I would suggest that everyone learn a little bit of someone else's history whenever you can. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's terrific to be able to learn someone's history, take that perspective. And by learning it, especially if it's from the person, right, you are sending a message to them that they are valuable. Yeah. And taking the time, the gift of time to learn their story. That's a great idea. Harrison, how about you? What small change can you recommend to our listeners based on our topic for tonight? I think a big thing I've been experiencing in my life in the last couple of years is feeling like people are losing the ability to have conversation and debate um, because they're not willing to listen. Um, and I think a lot of people are concerned about thinking their opinion is right and better than other people's. And I think a small change that I'm wanting to incorporate in my life and that I'd offer would be to listen more in conversations with other people, as Patrick said, about people maybe who you don't know or don't know anything about their experience. I think we're very concerned about thinking our opinion is always right and we know best when sometimes a conversation is not just about talking, but about sitting and listening to what someone else has to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, talk with people, folks, not just to them. Talk with them. Mark, you're nodding your head. This relates. You can relate to this. Yes. I, that, that's why I love this show so much, you know, because there's uh, people who come on and talk about things that maybe I'm I'm not totally agreeable with. And uh, we've had conversations where sit, listen, respect, and honor what the other person, because maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. 
but yeah. I, it definitely resonates Harrison. It's, it's, it's really the purpose why we're doing this show yeah. to have conversations. Yeah. It, it really is. It's, it's those perspectives that are so powerful. The second, second truth of the, I am everyone's got one. Everyone is interested through their IC domain, the way you see them. And you know that that has an effect on their biological domain because it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And because you're part of someone's home or social domain, this means the second truth, you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Patrick, again, I'm going to start with you and then we'll take a show out with Harrison. What kind of influence do you want to be, Patrick? Well, <clears throat> I'll say this. It, it doesn't matter what two people you pick, any two people on the planet. One person's struggle is connected to the other. And one person's struggle, wherever they are, is connected to you somehow, some way. So my influence, I would want, would be for me to influence for people to stand up for one another. Yeah. Yep, that'd be a great influence. You really do. You control no one. You influence everyone. Imagine if other people started doing that as well, as well, as well, and that was the world that we created. Harrison, same question for you. You control no one. You influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Harrison Tipping, creator, what kind of influence do you want to be? I think it's really special to be able to have a random moment with a stranger who you have nothing to do with and to sort of impact and influence their day in a positive way. Um, and I like to encourage people to help others, even if it isn't to the benefit of yourself. Um, because my dad once told me this, and it's probably a famous quote, but it's, it's not what you say, it's not what you do, but it's how you make people feel. Um, and I think we can be very surprised on the effect that we can have on people in such a small, random, kind uh, gesture. Um, so that's what I like to incorporate into my life, uh, to yeah. influence others just in a small, random way, even if I don't know them, and it's not for my own gain. Yeah. And, and that really is what the I am is trying to do. The, the I am is saying at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. Mm. And every time you remind someone of their value, you increase your own value. We don't need to judge each other. It is much more interesting to wonder than to worry and much more rewarding to be reflective than reflexive. So Harrison, when people see your film, what are you hoping the effect will be? What small change, what influence do you want to have on people as they see Simon? I want people who have nothing to do with the military in any relation to be able to watch this film and perhaps have a better understanding of an issue that they weren't aware to and to have a little bit more um, understanding of um, of it. And also just the military in general. I think the military can have a lot of negative um, press around it. And uh I think if people watch this film and see that thing of everyone is just trying to do their best, um, 
And I think Simon's situation is very unique to him. And I, as far as veterans are concerned, um, I want them to be able to watch the film and there uh, just to be a small moment of perhaps I can relate to this um, on a certain level. And if it does influence them to be able to start a discussion on their own trauma, I think that would be a really beautiful thing. Yeah. Ryan, remind you all, you are not alone. Definitely. There is help out there. Please find it. It's there for you. Patrick and Harrison, thanks so much for coming on. Folks, you can see Stand to YouTube, Harrison Tipping. Check it out. Good night, all. Good night, Larry. Jack from the vile. Did he do it for love or was he just being wild? Who?